Welcome into the latest episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined as always by Will Harum, by Joe Wilkie as well, coming to you from Alabama, Tennessee, and Texas. What do you guys uh, do this weekend? What, what's going on in your lives? Catch us up real quick. I um, actually was spending it with Will and his wife and um, cute kid. We're about two hours away, and my goodness, I... Um, I kind of had to refinance my home to pay for the tank of gas to get down there. I have to take out so, a loan. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That is a, that's the sign of a true friend these days is if they spend any amount of gas money to come see you. It's almost four bucks a gallon here. Oh. Uh, unbelievably. It's it's ridiculous. So, yeah. Uh, Will, we really, really like you guys. And just rem- that. remember that. that. And, uh, yeah, I'll send you my credit card statement. No, like um, that, yeah, the exactly. Michael Scott. I love you this many dollars worth. I love you this many gallons worth. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> So no, we had a ton of fun spending Decatur and, and just chilling and have a good time and had a good steak to, to end the weekend. Indeed. There Oof, you go. That was good. All right. So uh what about uh, you, Jack? You didn't answer. What'd you oh, do? What did yeah. What'd you do? Hung out with my wife and kids, my very pregnant wife and two kids, so about to be four. So just kind of try and enjoy the time before they get here. So um awesome. With that in mind, the gas prices, of course, it's it's kind of a funny thing. We can laugh off it. It's not very funny when you get out the card to pay for it. But uh, Russia, Ukraine, all that's going on. We we talked about you know episode. Uh, obviously, this is a very current event from a Christian view show. We do record a little bit ahead of time. So much changes so rapidly. We're not going to do an episode on it, but there is an article up at focuspress.org, so uh, we want you to check that out. Keep praying, especially for the Christians uh, involved and and really for everyone there. Uh, Pray for peace, and and hopefully by the time this reaches your ears, things are progressing in that direction. Uh, With that, I'm going to hand it over to Will. So we want to get into the topic for today, and it was it's something that we referenced a couple episodes back. I don't remember which one it was exactly, but the the role that grace plays in our salvation and i believe it was jack again the the podcast a couple episodes ago where he said we've gone from once saved always saved to once saved barely saved and it's the idea you know that you know how much do we rely on god's grace you know you hear people say well i just hope i've done enough you know i hope my i hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and this is even coming from people within the church you know baptized believers who seem to not really have a proper understanding of grace, you know, you know the idea that uh, you step kind of in and out uh, of salvation. You know, maybe you're, you're saved one minute, but then you've done a lot of bad things the last week. So you better get on your knees and ask for forgiveness, otherwise you're not going to be saved. We don't understand grace properly, and uh, you know, throughout the New Testament, of course, there is a balance. You know, we can't rely on well, you know, God's got me covered. I can do whatever I want to do. Right. You know, you know that that's one end of the spectrum. With the other end being, you know. Well, I've, I've got to do everything in my power to work my way to salvation. You know, I've got to make sure and repent of this specific sin. And I got to, well, I got to ask for forgiveness for this specific sin. And, you know, again, just the idea of once saved, barely saved. And so we want to talk about grace today. We want to talk about what is the balance? You know, how, how do we as Christians find assurance? How, you know, that's what we were talking about with the, it was the death podcast. We don't have assurance. A lot of times we don't have peace because we don't have a proper understanding uh, of grace. And so I want to kick it to the two guys that, uh, have been in ministry longer than I have. And I want to get um, maybe some of y'all's experiences, the things that y'all maybe interactions you've had with individuals who have this mindset again, this, well, I just hope I've done enough. So we'll start with Jack. What, what has been your experience again, maybe interacting with people and, and trying to get them to understand this biblical model of grace that we see plastered all throughout the new Testament. So I'm going to use two illustrations. One is people seem to have this view that salvation is like this certificate from God that he gives you, you know, when you're baptized, he puts that certificate in your hands. Hey, you're saved. Or it's like a, like a diploma. Yeah, yeah. Or like a robe that he puts over you, you know, that, okay, this is your, you're a Christian. Now you're saved. And then when you sin or you do something wrong, oh, he takes it back. And then, you know, you come back, you ask for forgiveness, you confess or, or however you, you know, address your sin and repent and he puts it back on you. And then when you sin again, he takes it away. And, and, it, and you're just constantly in and out of grace. And you just, you're kind of hoping boy, I hope I don't die at the wrong time, or or just I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do good, enough good. You, you brought up the, I, I hope I've done enough. The other one I, I've heard is, I hope the good outweighs the bad. 
it's it's yeah. such a twisted mindset because the good doesn't outweigh the bad. The other illustration I use that I've seen people kind of have is is like a video game, and you you've got save points. You know that if you get far enough, you beat this bad guy, it it automatically saves. But if you don't get to that next save point and you die, you go back. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like asking for forgiveness is your save point. And if I've yeah. sinned since I asked for forgiveness and I die. I'm not saved, right? I lose all of you know, and I go to hell, and and so basically, you you need like somebody asked the question one time, and and I don't mean to put them down. It's just this is how poorly of a job we've done educating people on this. Let's say you get in a car crash, uh, you know, and and you holler out a, a swear word, you use God's name in vain, something like that, and you die in that moment, and you didn't have time to forgive for it or to to ask for forgiveness for it. Are you saved? Again, it's that checkpoint mindset of when you ask for forgiveness, you're right. saved until the next time you sin. Man, that's so twisted. That that so misunderstands the covering that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, and so we're going to get into some of the scriptures, Romans 6, Hebrews 10, that show us the difference between when somebody really does walk away versus stumbles. I actually just ran across, it's interesting you uh, that you bring that up specifically about the cuss word before you die. I was teaching class the other day and there was a couple people that were like, well, uh, are you, are, are you saying, is that okay? I mean, I, you know, you haven't really had a chance to repent of that. And so, yeah, that, that wasn't just a one-off thing. I mean, I'm seeing it as well and well-meaning people. I mean, and that's the, I guess the saddest thing about this is really solid people that have been in the church for a long time, love them to death. And they just, the idea of my yoke is easy. My burden is light or the peace that's found in Christ is kind of a foreign concept. How do you have peace when you're afraid of losing your salvation every other minute? Assurance. It's, uh, yes, the assurance is gone. You read John say in First John five thirteen, you can know you have eternal life, and I think we kind of think, well, John can know, Paul can know, Peter can know, but I can't. Right, and that's the whole point of Colossians, right? Is it's all about assurance of these Colossians that are kind of wondering where they stand, and Paul writes to them saying, yes, you can know these things. We do have assurance in Christ. Um, but there's no assurance and, and with, without assurance, there is no peace without that peace. Then we get into Judaism. Do we not? Is it not works based to think that we are, I, I have to do enough. I mean, the, the, works, the law, right? Right. And that's Paul writes so much on specifically, but really the entire new Testament addresses a lot, but Paul specifically on not putting ourselves back under law. That's why the Galatians, he was so frustrated at him as putting themselves back under law. Like you don't understand We've been saved from this. We we have Christ. And so Paul gets frustrated with them. I feel bad, though, legitimately for people that just don't have this concept. It's interesting. Well, I, I Sorry. Go, go ahead, Joe. No, you go. I was just going to say, I um, with working with my, my, you know, porn addicts, a lot of them are Christians. And I'll always ask them, like, well, when do you think, what do you think God thinks of you, right? And, and when do you... Th- feel that God loves you more when you're, and I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but like, when do you think God loves you more when you're in the midst of looking at porn or when you're at church? And I've had several of them tell me, well, when I'm at church and the other ones that don't, they go, I know what the right answer is. I just don't feel the right answer because they don't, though they've been come, they've been repenting. They've been trying their hardest to get through it. They feel I'm not, I, there's no way I'm saved because I continue to sin And it's exactly as Jack said, the robe gets taken off and put back on and taken off and put back on. And what if in the moment that I forget to ask for repentance and I die in that moment, whatever it is, um, again, zero peace in that life. And the idea of stepping in and out of salvation is just how could you ever think that my yoke is easy, my burden is light when we're doing the exact same thing that Jesus is saying, I'm freeing you from. Well, and and again, it's well-meaning people, right? It's Christians that that are that are desperately trying to make sure that they're not, how do I put that, you know, too reliant on God's grace. Again, you have the pendulum that can go far too, they can go too far in one direction. Shall I continue in sense that grace may abound, right? right. May so, it never and, be. And, I, and that's I think what it's we try important to, avoid. to emphasize that we certainly are not looking down on anyone who has this struggle. It's more of a frustration all, with no. the people who have led them to think this is how it is. Right. Yeah. So Yeah. And so you ahead. have, as you say, you have that one side that, that we try desperately to avoid. And so, I think we do need to start by establishing that that first point in the sense that you can fall away. 
right? I mean, it, it's not, we, we, we're not here teaching once saved, always saved. We, right. The Bible, the Bible, um, you know, the New Testament multiple times tells us, you know, we can go to Hebrews 10, 26, for instance, you know, that talks about for if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So we'll start there. You can fall away. You know, again, we're not teaching once saved, always saved, but it, it's found in that, those two words. If you sin willfully. And so I want to, I want to kick it to you guys um, again, because we're not going to spend a lot of time on this point, but do you have anything to add to that? Again, that's what we're desperately, a lot of people, again, and they're, they're well-intentioned. They're desperately trying to, you know, I want to make sure that, that, that I'm, that I'm covered. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm not sinning willfully. Well, you Jack, define, I guess that would be the, that's perfect question. Define sinning willfully. What does that mean? Because I may look at it and say, well, in my cussing, I was sinning willfully. At, at you know right before I died, so am I saved? In the analogy, right? Yeah, I mean, right. almost sins are almost all sins are willful, right? I mean, David has that prayer about if there's any secret sin, anything I like, I don't know that I'm doing. But most of the time, you're choosing to do it. But what also is said in Hebrews ten twenty six is if we go on sinning willfully, right. if, and it really is this sense of I have turned my back on God. I think one of the other areas in which we get con- confused is First John 1 about walking in the light. And we think walking in the light means you're not sinning. And if we walk in the light, then we, we have the cleansing, we have the fellowship, we have um, the, uh, the assurance, essentially. And, and we think, man, that one time I, uh, I slipped up and sinned, that one time I stumbled and did wrong, I'm not walking in the light anymore. Now, what does it say? If we walk in the light, he, has, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That means we're sinning while we walk in the light. Walking right. in the light is, number one, a desire to do the right thing. Number two, an openness before God, that we're not trying to hide anything, not, not trying to keep one foot over here in the darkness of, I want to keep doing this sin, I, I don't want to let go of it. That is the way. And with our brethren. Right. In that right. passage. Yeah, right. and being open with each other, exactly. And so walking in the light is not living a sinless life. Because he says if we say we have no sin, we're lying, right? right. We're making God a liar, or we're trying to make God a liar. And so... Walking in the light versus going on sinning willfully is a decision, an, an understanding. I'm still going to stumble and fall. I'm still going to have troubles. I'm still, I'm never going to be a perfect human on this side, but I want to be, I want to be right with God. And when I do stumble and fall, I'm going to repent. I'm going to ask forgiveness. I'm going to keep going because this is what I want. What Hebrews 10, 26 is talking about is people who are turning their back and saying, not interested in Jesus anymore. I'm going my own way. So I, I know a guy that uh, used to go to church with him, great brother, loved him to death, but he used to say, I don't ask for forgiveness of my sins because I've already been forgiven of my sins. And so I don't, I, I repented almost as a one time, very much like baptism. I repented of my sins turned away. And now I know I've been made righteous in Christ and I don't need to ask for forgiveness. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, I, I will say I do. And I, I've, it became such a habit for me growing up. And so I, I have, tried desperately to get away from this verbiage, but you do hear God, you know, please forgive us of our sins. I I am not on the train of thought where we don't need to ask that anymore, but I do, I'm trying to steer myself away from, you know, this idea of what you have to beg God to forgive your sins, because at the end of the day, what was baptism? You know, again, walking in the light, he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Now, again, that's not to say that, you know, that's not something, I mean, Jesus included that right in his model prayer, right? But the, it's the the notion that I again try to steer away from is, you know, God, just please, if if it be your will, please forgive us of our sin. You know what I mean? It's I guess it's more of a verbiage thing for me. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're you're thanking him, you're you're asking him for it, and thanking him that in Jesus we have it, right? Right. And so it's it's an acceptance that they have been forgiven, not a petition. And you know, we're going to wait and see for a ruling on whether we're going to be forgiven or not. You know that, that they are being forgiven. And so we, we give thanks to Jesus, but we also are presenting him. Because the other thing I don't like about uh, the kind of the corporate prayer in, in the worship service, Father, forgive us for our sins. Yeah, but it's also kind of meant to be more on an individual level, on a specific level of, of forgive me yeah. for this sin, not just a blanket. Because you're acknowledging it. Yeah, you're not just throwing out a blanket. Well, we know we've sinned, so forgive us for those things. It's it's okay to do that sometimes, but not at the expense of the individual ones. And when you do that, you're putting it before him, and you're realizing, and I mean, Hebrews really is the key for this whole discussion, because it talks about we can enter confidently before the throne of grace, that he's cleansed us, that, you know, he's been our high priest, he is our high priest, he offered the sacrifice, Uh, blood blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away our sins, 
But Jesus, one sacrifice for all time, he sat down at the right hand. I mean, it's a beautiful book that gives us this sure. assurance while telling us you still can fall away if you give your, if you turn your back on it. And so and there, it, it gets the balance that we're talking about. Yeah, and I think that's, I like your point of specifically understanding our sin, not to beat ourselves up, but to say, I recognize that this has separated me from, or, or this, my sin is taking me away from God where I want to be. Right. And if we do it enough, this is the Hebrews part, Hebrews six, trampling underfoot, the sacrifice of Christ, right. That's saying, I no longer need that sacrifice for sins. I no longer consider Christ as my sacrifice. And yeah, that's when you've fallen away. That's when you have not, um, uh, you have stopped understanding that Christ has given you that forgiveness. Um, but I do like the idea of, of thinking about the specific sins because man, it's so easy to just pray or wrote prayer of forgive me for my sins. I don't know what they were. I, I have no idea, but I'm sure I sinned. I know I'm they're sure out there something. somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. They're out there somewhere. Like, like you said, David did say for my secret sins, but that's after he's already look at, look at Psalm 51 and how he addresses yeah. his sin with Bathsheba and calling it out. I still, you know, against you and you only have sinned. Like, well, Uriah might have something to say about it if you hadn't killed him, but I understand it's poetic terminology and such. It's, it's, it's an interesting chapter. Um, but the point is, I think it's good to address those things. Now, I will throw out another question, though, because Calvinists, as we're combating, we're, we're swinging the pendulum from their side of once saved, always saved, right, is the idea of perse- perseverance of the saints with Tulip. Um, they would say, and I've heard this said before, if somebody does fall away, well, they were never saved to begin with. And what would you guys say to that? I, I think in that there is the exact same problem we've talked about with people who like have the I, I, I hope I've done enough thing. Where can you ever have assurance? Because you look right. at some of these big name people, Josh Harris, right? He wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was a big name writer and preacher um, in, in, I guess, Presbyterianism or Baptist, one of those, for years and years and years. And then last year he came out, I've given up my faith. I left my wife for my girlfriend. Um, I'm done with God. And, and by the way, if you want to learn how to deconstruct your faith too, here's a course where you can give me a bunch of money where I can teach you to abandon the faith too. It's awful. I mean, he just yeah, totally walked horrible. away from everything that he had written before. And, and what they have to say essentially is, well, he was never saved. We read his books. We listened to him preach. We, we knew him. We, we followed him. But, oh, he wasn't saved. How can anybody know they were saved? And I've heard John Piper preach on this as well, somebody who espouses these, these, the same idea of once saved, always saved, is essentially how I will know I am really a Christian is when I'm dead. The, the the proof will be in the pudding. I will have there made goes it. assurance. Yeah. yeah. And it's like And we're kind of background to workspace in a yeah, way. <laughs> we we really are. If I've proven it, if I've done good enough, uh if if I've held on per, and so they believe in once they, they believe in falling away too. They believe that they just very conveniently twist it to and if you fall away you weren't actually saved. Which, you know, That's horrible. Yeah. And I don't want to echo all of your points, Jack, but I, I inherently disagree with that. I think you can go. I mean, just the verse we just covered, Hebrews 10, 26. I mean, it, Demas in second uh, was it second Timothy where, you know, you have examples of people who were once followers mm-hmm. that drifted, that no longer were. And, and for somebody to say, well, you know, I, I have a copy of the book of life. I can tell you they weren't in there to begin with. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's, it's very it's a very arrogant mindset. Um, in my opinion, to say, well, yeah, they were never really saved because I know as if we have some knowledge of it, you know, for somebody else. And so go ahead, Joe. But this is what you get for Calvinism is if you can't choose God, then you can't choose to walk away from God. The choice has been taken from you. And that's why I think they struggle so much with, oh, you must have never been saved because if they say that you can choose to walk away from God, then they have to say that you can choose God and they don't. Right. That also goes against their, their tulip principles. And so, um, so just moving on from here, I guess, not to completely drive the discussion, but um, I do think just kind of looking at, we have an outline and, and try to hit some of these points and make sure that we're getting to these things. But um, we do have some extremely common views that I would say are clearly as we're outlining that for us, even in the church of Christ for Christians, uh, where we misunderstand grace. And to that point, I'm trying to think of how exactly we want to take this, but to that point, does, what do you, what would you guys say is like, does grace cover anything? What, what does grace cover? How do we know? You know, again, I work in the addiction fields and there's a lot of misunderstanding of grace around that. Um, 
does grace maybe, maybe we should start with a definition of grace i mean we haven't really hit that yet that's, um, that's a good point you know to, to define what is grace really and you know you've heard all the the, the basic uh, definitions or i don't want to say basic you've heard the uh, cliche definition we'll go with that route you know unmerited favor is the one that gets thrown out a lot um god's riches at christ's expense but you know the way that i would define it and then i'll kick it to you too you know i i heard it put this way once and it's beautiful you know, to distinguish between mercy and grace, mercy not being not giving you something that you deserve, and then grace being giving you something that you don't deserve. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this idea of no matter how hard you work, no matter how many orphans you visit, no matter how many cards you write, no matter, no matter how many souls you baptize, you in and of yourself cannot earn yourself a spot in heaven. And, you know, that's Ephesians 2.8, right? right? Not of our own works. That's the point of grace. The idea that you, we are we are spiritually dead in our sins. Ephesians two. Once again, it's only by God's grace. We couldn't earn it. It's unmerited. It's grace. How? What would you guys add to that? As far as just a, a, you know, a definition of grace. Yeah, I I think that says it very well. Uh, the idea of of getting things we don't deserve because all of these things we've talked about that I hope I've done enough is thinking that you've deserved it. Is thinking, right. okay, I've, I've got my doctrine in a row, my life is clean enough, I'm going to get before God. And and I've, I've used this as well, is when you get before God and he asks you, let's just say, he asks you, why should I let you in? Why should you be saved and not sent into uh, the, the lake of fire and brimstone? How many Christians are going to go, well, I was baptized and I, I went to church every time I could, and I tried to be nice to my, my family, and I tried to work hard and not steal from people, and I, I, I tried not to lie and not to use bad words and things like that. It's almost like a, how impressive is your resume? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, let me give you my resume. Here's what you do. If you come to that scenario, you're standing before the throne of God, and he says, why should you be saved? You point to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, because he paid for it, mm-hmm. and my faith is in him. I, I, I have I, I, I put my life faith in him. He said to be baptized and to walk with him. And, and everything I did was because him. I'm trusting him and not myself. And so, yeah, I've got this list of good works I did. It's not because of me. It's because of him. And you just point to him. You point to him as everything as, as because it, it is grace. It's favor given to us. It's a gift that we didn't deserve. And, and trying to say why you deserved it misses the point of the fact that it's a gift. It's interesting. I was thinking about Matthew seven recently. Uh, did we not do all these things in your name? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I was thinking about this recently. You'll have to tell me if I'm off on this. My, my thought on it, we've always looked at it like, oh, you know, they, I guess their doctrine wasn't right. Or, you know, I guess they, their works weren't enough or whatever it may be. Right. Like we kind of look at it and say, well, clearly they were doing good stuff. That must be denominations who got it wrong. And I had this thought that hit me and maybe I'm off on this, but it's like, maybe one of those reasons is because they're trying to justify their way into heaven. Exactly. As you're talking about, didn't I do all these great things? Didn't I do all these works? Yeah. And it's like, it's not about the works that you do. It's not about all the things that I never all knew to- you. He said, mm-hmm. exactly. It like, you didn't put your trust in me. And obviously this is in sermon on the Mount. He has not died at that point and, and resurrected. And so, but I think in calling forward to it, the way we read that is either they didn't do enough or their doctrine must not have been right. And I think that's a misunderstanding of that. I think it speaks more to your point, Jack, of getting up to heaven and saying, well, here's my resume. Didn't I do all these things? Like, but did you put your faith in Christ? And we're, we're afraid of allowing that to be the um, kind of going forward with that thought because uh, of the pendulum swing, right? Swinging it back in. Um, And, and, kind of to the other direction, we don't want to be Calvinists. We don't want to say that, man, if I believe in this grace, then who knows? I mean, people might go off the deep end. People might start abusing it. Like, well, and, but Jesus still taught grace fully understanding that it could be abused. And and I'll, I'll jump in here because the, my style of preaching, it, it does, it does lean more towards, Hey, get your act together type thing. You know, um, I see a lot of apathy in congregations. I have, um, you know, I got, I've got the, my dad, you know, Brad here, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling to various congregations and, you know, being a part of several congregations. And, you know, I tend to, again, my preaching leans more into, we need to get our act together. And so, you know, I think that that is part of, again, kind of the pendulum swing of, you know, we can't just sit around and rely on God's grace. We, you know, there, there has to be works, you know, James too. Faith without works is non-existent. It's dead. But I think, again, just that kind of mindset lends itself more towards 
Well, if you're not, if you're not doing enough, if you don't have the works down, then, you know, you're not in a safe state. You better get to it. Speak to that for just a second for, for the both of you. How, how does, because again, that, that is typically the way that, I, that is my style at least is to lean more towards quit being apathetic and actually get up and do something. Um, it, it can be taken too far. Uh, in, in certain cases. Yeah, I, I, that's a really important thing. I want to save that in a minute because we want to talk about fruit before we, we finish up. So what we're going to talk about at the end of sure how how badly we've misunderstood fruit as well. And, and so uh, it's a great question. I'm going to just before we get off of grace real quick, I think Romans is another thing that we've almost like forfeited to the denominations. We've handed it over to them because they do so much work in Romans and we like Romans six because it says baptism. And so we spend time there, but you know, Romans eight is about the Holy spirit. And so we kind of shy away from that Romans four about, you know, grace, Romans four, four and five, really about grace and the sin of Adam and, and all of those things. And, and we kind of have such a negative posture towards it. Well, it doesn't mean that we all sin because, or we all have Adam's sin on us. It doesn't mean that we're only saved by faith and don't have to do anything. It doesn't mean, yeah, but as I always say, verses don't mean certain things, but they do mean something, and you got to have that. So Romans 3 is all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is saved by works of law. Nobody's justified that way. Romans 4, he talks about Abraham, that even way back then, Abraham wasn't justified because of all the good things he did. Abraham was justified by faith. He believed in God, was credited to him as righteousness, and it's not of works so that we can't boast, we can't hold up our resume. Then Romans 5 is about this grace in which you stand. We've been given grace through Jesus. It's grace that saves us. It's grace. It's this favor that's come from God, which is, again, opposed to our works. It's not that we saved ourselves. Then Romans 6 gets into baptism. We're baptized in him, so now we are slaves of righteousness rather than slaves of sin. We've been freed from our, our slavery to sin. We've been brought back from the dead to this new life in Christ. We walk with him. And, and so... I think that leads to the point, that's, that's my long way around of answering your question and getting us into this next discussion about fruit and about our works. And, and as you said, kind of like we got to do better. It's a cart before the horse thing. You have to get sure. those chapters in Romans right. It is favor and, and salvation at the cross of Jesus first. And we work because of that. Not we work to get to the salvation, we work because yeah. we're saved. And man, we do such a bad job of putting that cart before the horse, and when the cart's in front of the horse, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't work because we're trying to, uh, you know, chase people from behind, chase people with hell licking at their heels of, you got to do more, you got to do more, you got to do more, you got to do more. And, and, you know, you might not be saved rather than... You are saved by Jesus. He died for you, Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, while we were so undeserving. He did that for you. So now you go serve him because of it. it we understand. Go ahead. Uh, sorry not to cut you off. We understand that in, in realms of marriage. I get my wife flowers or, you know, get her nice stuff. Not because if I don't, she's going to divorce me. Uh, she's going to hate my guts. I do it because I love her because she's loved right. me because she's good to me. And I want to be good to her. Right? right. And Christ has ultimately been, been good to us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. And understanding that's like, how could you not want to know him? How could you not want to serve him? How could you not want to be more like Christ when you recognize what has been given you? But again, we're too busy. We're, we're running from something instead of running to something. And I know I've talked about it before on the podcast, but there's so much, uh, so many issues with that. Like you get tired running from stuff. As I've mentioned before, I'm sure that Indiana Jones, like Boulder is going to trample me versus chariots right. of fire running the race. I'm looking ahead. Paul talks about running the race of faith. It's because we're not constantly looking behind, worried about getting tripped up. If I trip in the race, I get back up and keep going, knowing that I'm still on the path towards salvation, right? Well, we fall with sin, we get tripped up and we think, well, since, you know, it's crouching at the door, right? We kind of use things out of context and it's about to it's about to just smoke me. It's going to roll right over me and I'm going to be dead. That's not how that works. If, if there is any sin boulder, Christ is standing in front of it and is taking that for you. So the other thing, just as a quick aside, we do have to stop taking verses exactly as you said and running to, because I was thinking the same, you mentioned Ephesians 2, 8. Well, how often do we look at that and go, but no, it is by grace, but of course you have to get into baptism and, and we, we run immediately to, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have to do those things. It doesn't mean that you don't have to do any work. Well, let's look at James and, you know, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Stop hitting the Bible against each other. Let them define it as they define it. You know, Paul is making a specific point in Romans 4 and faith does entail all those things, but the faith is, is the main focal point 
for Romans, but we're so busy to run to the other side or so quick to run to other scriptures to say, well, make sure you do this as well. What he's saying in, in Ephesians 2, 8 with by grace, you've been saved. Let that sit for a second. Let that marinate and just recognize the blessing that it is. And coming back around to your point, Jack, of by grace, you've been saved. So why wouldn't you want well, to it, this God everything? Then again, he sets up verse eight by telling the, if you were literally dead, yeah, you had no hope. You were spiritually dead, nothing you could do. And it was God who raised you. It yeah. was God who raised you in Christ. Why? Not because of your works, but because of because of his grace. That's the reason. And Ephesians, the beginning of Ephesians 2 kind of hits the, the Jewish people on that of being kind of dead in their sins. And right after that, he goes into the five things separate from Commonwealth and, and you know, all that stuff um, for Gentiles, hitting both Jews and Gentiles saying yep. you had no hope. And in the middle of that, which is it covers everybody in the middle of that, grace is the focal point. Christ is the focal point. And that's that's the purpose of why we focus so much on grace and not works. It's we instinctively know that we're, we can speak to the head all day long, to the logic, to the knowledge and build up our knowledge. And there are, there's really nobody in the church of Christ. I would say that thinks, yeah, works, works, save me. Of course they know grace saves us, but that's all head knowledge. My question for, I guess the hears and for myself is where's your heart at? Do you feel that? Do you feel saved? Do you feel the joy and the peace of Christ that comes from that? Because you can say all day long, well, I know my works don't save me, but do you think that legitimately on, on a, you know, on a heart level that you are less without your works? Because we know all our righteous deeds are filthy rags, as Isaiah talks about without Christ, we've got nothing. Um, and that's, that's what makes us want to bear fruit. And that's the fruit that God wants from us is done out of love, chasing him, giving him our very greatest, um, because we can, not because we have to, but because we get to. This is the hard part of this discussion, though, is it is such a pendulum that when we start talking about this way, we start talking about grace, it really sounds, and it gets in people's heads, like you're just not emphasizing works. You're not big on obedience. Where you're saying so I don't you're have just, to do anything? Right, yeah. right. No. You're saying, well, you're just as loved by God when you're in the middle of sin as you are when you're in church. And and so people are thinking, well, then, okay, I can sin. Well, that's where Romans 6, 1, in the middle of, of that whole discussion comes in, Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? No, may it never be. Of course not, Paul says. Um, and so... How can we who died to sin live any longer in it is the right, next question he asks. Right, right. Like, we gave it up. We And so if you think that's what it, what grace means, you miss the point of grace. And so then we run to the other way of, okay, well, then we got to work really hard, and, and it's all work, it's all work. And, and then that really sounds... Uh, well, then when you start talking about obedience, there's a real spirit of antinomianism uh in, in christianity today which is define just a, that yeah it's yeah, just a fancy you, word <laughs> nomos is law no anti anti-law anti uh anti-obedience anti-commandments that oh it's not about that it's just about a lifestyle it's not about following certain things no it very much is there are very much commandments mm. and expectations upon us and so that's the other pendulum swing is antinomian versus works based only Neither one is good. You, as I said, it's the cart and the horse. Get the horse in the right place. We have grace. We're saved by the works of Jesus to do good works. Because you guys, we've been talking about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. That's you're saved by grace uh, through faith, not of works that any may boast. And then verse 10, and you were created in him for good works. Salvation comes first, works comes next. And then that's where the James 2 thing is, right? Faith without works is dead. And you've been saved. Now the works should come out of it or else it didn't really take. Mm. Well, is it, go, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. No, no, no. Go for it. I was just say, isn't that John fifteen? You know, talking about fruit, and, and I don't right. want to jump the gun here. I know that's you know kind of what we want to wrap with, but you know, what is the true um, measure of of a Christian, of a New Testament Christian? It's bearing fruit. And so mm. again, I don't want to jump the gun. I don't know if we're ready to get to that point yet. But that is that is what Jesus is saying in John fifteen. If you abide in me, you will what bear fruit. Right. You'll bear much fruit. So I think that gets us to our, our last question here is, how do I know? Yeah. Uh, because, again, so many Christians struggle with that because we, we kind of think that if I say I know that, that I'm being prideful, that I'm mm. saying, you know, I, because you, you see people like that, you know, like the Pharisee in, in Luke 18. Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this man. I tithe. I give. I did. You know, look at me. Here's my resume, God. It's good enough. Right. And we just yep. talked about that's not what we're doing. And so it's not prideful to say that I can know. As we said, 1 John 5, 13, you can know. Paul, I've run the race. I've finished the course. 
uh, ahead of me is laid up for, there's a laid up for me, a crown of righteousness. You can know, um, how can the average Christian know bearing fruit is one of it. We'll, we'll finish with that, but we'll, we'll just put this broad question out as our last discussion here. I think you have to trust the promises that have been made, uh, trust in Christ and not in yourself. Well, I haven't been good enough. Well, luckily Christ was good enough for you. And so there's a lot of promises made. I think, you know, first is, is I would say trusting in the promises that he has made that you are saved. Right. And John talking about eternal life as a quality, not quantity. We have that eternal life now and not just what's coming, not just in heaven, but, um, that's been promised to us now. Yes, the crown of life, laying up crown of life, and and you know Revelation two ten, and I understand that that's stuff that we're getting to later, but right now we have this quality and and the promises that have been made to us. So I think that's the first one. Um, I, I could get into more, but fellas, I guess I'll open it up to you. The uh, one that I would add is is one that we've talked about before, and that is get to know God, get to know His Word. The more that you study the New Testament, the more that you study you know, the things that God has laid out for us in his word, you come to the knowledge of the fact that I don't start with works. I don't start with, let me, let me pile up my good deeds and then present them to God and say, here, do you accept this? It starts out of love. Not to say that love is the, is the only thing that you need. You just need to love God and that's it. No, loving God, getting to know God is what is going to propel you. These good works is something that we've already talked about. But again, we, again, we discussed it several episodes ago. A lot of Christians don't know how to get to know God. They don't know, uh, they know about God, but they don't know God. And so that's, you know, as far as practical things, you know, how do you know, spend more time in his word, get to know him better, you know, trust the promises, Joe, like you said, you have to know the promises. You have to, yeah. you have to yeah. take a deep dive and, and understand what is it that I've been promised. And, and that comes first. So that, that's what I would say, Jack, how about you? I think to your point, Will, to just kind of add on to that, I think of the Lewis quote about God doesn't love us because we're good. He makes us good because he loves us. And, yeah. and so that drawing near to him is yeah. not thinking I've got to be good enough before I can come to God and, and patch together something that will make him accept me. No, he accepts you in Jesus. And, and so that that would be my thing that I, I think is really important is appreciate Jesus. Um, the thing that frustrates me most about this this lacking in teaching and grace and, and this lack of assurance that Christians have is because we don't appreciate Jesus enough. We don't appreciate what happened at the cross enough of... It, the debt was all paid. When he said it's finished, he means it's finished. That doesn't mean we're free to continue in sin like we talked about, but you don't have to pay your own debt. Um, Hebrews ten fourteen is one of my favorite verses in, in the entire Bible. It says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's actually a contradictory thought because being sanctified means you're not perfect, right? Mm, it means right. you're not yet perfect. You're still very much a work in progress. But... He has perfected you for all time. And so in God's eyes, your score on your your test of life is a 100. Not because you got a 100, because all of us have sinned so much it's a zero, and we can never overcome it being a zero. Those are the only two scores you can have in life. We kind of think, well, if I get in with a D, I can slide into heaven, get a 65. These get degrees. These yeah. get degrees, exactly. Um, these get divinity. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> um <laughs> Maybe that's Whereas, why we're teaching so poorly on grace. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so you're, there's only two scores, zero or 100. He's perfected you for all time in Jesus Christ. With that sacrifice, you are a 100 in God's eyes when you were in Christ. But you know that you're not perfect. I know we, we, we're not perfect people, right? That's the we're being sanctified, is that he has viewed us as perfect, and then he's in the process of making us perfect so that we can have that eternal life with him without sin. Appreciate what Jesus did thank him for it. And we talked about that, that thing about asking for forgiveness. Yeah, keep asking for forgiveness, but then thank him for it because he gave it to you. And so that's a really big one as well. And then let's finish up with this discussion of fruit, because I think this is one of the things that gets most twisted about this discussion. Real fast, before okay. we get into fruit, sure. if you are living in your sin and you're okay with it and you recognize their sin, you're not really repenting, you're not doing anything to stop the sin, you know, you're, hey, it is what it is, right? Grace has got me covered, and you're doing zero to attempt to get out of the sin, which we'll get into a little bit in the works. But if, if, if you're not even attempting to try to get out of the sin, question yourself. Okay. Sure. Just well, check, check yourself is what I would say for those that maybe are listening that do have some secret sin they're fully aware of. And yet I can't let anybody know. I'm not going to live in a light. I'm not really, you know, asking God for forgiveness about it. Cause it's my little thing. I don't think that's many out there, but there may be some. And I would say, 
definitely study your word, be in your word, because specifically Hebrew six and 10, I think you'd be getting dangerously close. Well, and, and I would just add, it's kind of common sense, right? It's not sure. like, right. it, you know, if you are in a, a practice, a habit, a, a repeated occurrence of something where you are just, you're breaking the law of God, you're, you're, you're transgressing it, you know it, but you're going to continue to do it. You know what that is. It's not as if you're like, well, I'm not really sure. No, you know, mo- and the most common, of the time. That common sense is such a valuable point. That's what we're saying all along here is for those people who are very much questioning their salvation, I think they've gotten into the minutia, the details, the, the, you know, letter of the law is really what it is. It's a common sense thing. Are you living for Christ or are you not? And I think, you know, are you, are you happy and okay with your sin or are you not? If you're not okay with your sin, if you're asking the question, man, it has my sin separated me to it. You're probably on the right track. Just to be honest, if you're even asking that question of, is my sin separating me from God too much? That's on there. It doesn't mean that you're, you're in, you know, perfectly in the right necessarily. I, I but I think you're really, really your close. Mind your heart. Place. Exactly. You're in the right place. So right. sorry, let's get into fruits though. Let's finish up with, with this idea of fruits. Well, we brought up John 15. I want to go to Galatians five mm-hmm. uh, when, when talking about fruit, you know, we typically tend to think the, well, the fruits of the spirit, those are things I need to add to my life. Right. right. You know, love joy. I need to, I need to add love. I need to add joy or add peace to my life, patience, et cetera. That's not what Paul's saying in Galatians five. He, he, he paints two pictures of, of, of two things that are at war with each other. Two things that are contrary, the flesh and the spirit. He starts out by describing, if you choose to walk in the flesh, here are going to be your results. Here are going to be the, the, the fruits of walking in the flesh. He calls it the works of the flesh. That's, you know, verses 19 to 21, adultery, idolatry, all these terrible things. But then he comes back and he says, however, if you walk in the spirit, these are the things that are going to be produced, mm-hmm. not as a checklist of, well, let me make sure that I have patience. Let me make sure that I have, you know, love and joy. No, he says, if you are walking in the spirit, these are going to be the fruits. These are going to be the results of it. And it speaks to the fact that you go to John 15 as well. Fruit is an effect. Fruit is a result. Fruit, yeah, not fruit works is, of the spirit. Fruits right. of the spirit. Fruits of the spirit. It's produced because right. of, of the fact that you're walking in the spirit. I wanted to hit that real quick. Yeah. The illustration I always use is the way we teach it is that you go out and staple fruits to the tree. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah the, exactly. The fruit is external rather than internal. And I mean, so many of these passages we've talked about in this hit on that. Um, uh, Matthew 7, where Jesus was talking, or Joe was talking about Jesus uh, saying, depart from me, I never knew you. It is in that discussion where he's talking about false teachers are going to come in uh, in the broad and the narrow way. And he says, you're going to know them by their fruits. John 15, you know, if, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. And if you don't, you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, and apart from me, you can do nothing. That the fruit is coming from connection to the vine, not yep. from the other Galatians 5. I mean, over and over it talks about fruit. And and so when, as a Christian, you were asking this question, how do I know? Well, is there fruit in your life? And that doesn't mean, well, I tried hard to be more patient and I'm a little more patient. It's the connection you have with God, with his word, with his church, you're going to start seeing transformation in your life. You're going to be a different person by being in his presence. I always like the story about Moses going before God on Sinai and or going into the tent of meeting and coming out glowing. You're going to yeah. look different from time spent with God. You're going to look different when you've drawn near to him. And that's that fruit that comes out of you of, of knowing him and being changed from the inside out, not the outside in. It goes back to that loving him, right? Of you desire him. Do you desire to please Christ more than you desire the things of the flesh? Right. We know Paul in Romans seven still struggling, but the idea of sanctification and being made more, being made holy is, you know, through the work of the spirit is I desire to know him more than I desire to know my sin. I desire to please him more than I desire to please myself. If you're 50 years into, you know, you're being a Christian and you're still on a daily struggle wondering, you know, or, or work on these things and have never really worked passing. I'm not here to judge necessarily, but I would say our, the fruits of the spirit are intended to, to, I don't know, make an appearance in our life, right? We should be desiring God more today than we were five years ago. I mean, we're a year ago. That's the spirit moving through us. And so my question for you guys, how do we how do we have the spirit bear fruit in our life? That sounds, you're answering it already. You're kind of saying some of those things, but you know, Will, you talk about getting the word of God, Jack, you talk, or we talk about drawing near, we talk about those things. Like, I think that's where people get hung up is how do I know the spirit's working in my life? How do I know that I'm 
am I more loving? Am, am I more joyful? Cause I have some real down days where I guess I'm just not joyful. And we go back to the rigmarole of, I just don't know. I don't know if the spirit is, is moving in my life. I don't know if these things have taken place. And so I'm back to this lack of assurance that the spirits in my life, because I do have some bad days where I don't draw near to God as I should. What would you say to that? I think, you know, you can see the difference and, and others can see the difference when that fruit is, is being borne out in you. And it's just the simple things. You're a little more calm when somebody cuts you off in traffic. You're, you're less likely to snap at your kids or, or make a sarcastic remark to your spouse because with the Spirit and it being the fruit of the Spirit, you've got the Word in you, you've got this, this understanding of what God wants, and, man, you've got that twinge in the back of your mind that says, I shouldn't do that. That's not right. That's, yeah, not, that's, how, that's, that's not what God would have me do. And, and man, you, you see that. And I'm not saying it's God speaking to us, but it is that fruit coming through. That's what I was going to say in the, in the sense that you, you, you're a little bit more conscious and you understand more how to overcome temptation. You know, you're, you're, maybe you're tempted still with the same things. You, maybe mm-hmm. you have the same struggles. However, you, you, like you just said, Jack, you kind of have that twinge that your conscious speech. You're like, no, I, I know I shouldn't be doing that. And it, maybe it's not instant where you're struggling with something. You give it up cold turkey but you make progress and you make those steps and you understand okay this is how i fight it this is how i overcome it these are the things that i do and again you know it you know i that sounds really basic that sounds you know well duh but we know whether or not we're bearing fruit you know in our lives i uh, joe to answer to answer your question i don't know that it's something that you can really sit there and say well i don't don't really know if i am no you know Mm -hmm. you know whether or not you're making progress you know whether or not you're growing in christ you know whether or not you are again figuring out how to overcome, how to fight that temptation. Sure. Well, one of the best things is, you know, the, the, the deeds of the flesh, we we like to think of those lists as being, you know, murder, sexual sins, things like that. So many times it's strife, dissension, anger, envy, your view toward other people. That's going to be your biggest Heart indicator issues, right? is, is those your connections with other people. Are you more patient toward them? Are you more loving toward them? Are you more kind toward them? Um, are, are, are you more gentle, the, the fruit of the spirit things and Galatians six, seven, and eight talks about God isn't mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. If you're sowing to the spirit, you're going to get that. If you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to get that. Well, sowing to the flesh is maybe too much TV and social media, maybe not enough time with God, maybe being around people who are, are negative influences on you, uh, avoiding God. Sowing to the spirit is making the time with God in his word and in his prayer, also fellowship. I'm really, really big on confession of sins is the the most un, underused super growth strategy that we, we have. Yeah. Opening our, because that's the walking in the light, right? It's holding myself up saying, I want to be open before God. I want the light to hit every part of me. I don't want there to be anything I'm holding away from God. And that's where those things start to come through. That's sowing to the spirit saying, get this out of me, please. Yeah. And that, the other part I would add, even in my own question, um, Ephesians 2.10 talks about God placing good works in our path. And I think the spirit has a big role to play in that. Are we walking in those? Are you right. seeing the good areas? God's going to, God may put somebody in your life today to talk to you about Christ. Right. Are you taking it? I think when we stop taking the things that he's put in our path and we stop paying attention to that conscience, whatever you want to call it, conscience, or, or, you know, like you said, the twinge in the back, when we stop paying attention to that, I'm a big believer that that's us starting to quench the spirit right. and the spirit will stop working. If we do that enough, if we right. circumvent, he puts all these good works in our paths. I, I illustrate it. It's an odd, bizarre illustration, but it's kind of like he puts all these cobwebs in our path that we're just walking through. And it, it's kind of a gross illustration, but it's like, you can't, you can choose to go around them and say, well, I don't want to choose that. Or you can walk right through them. And it's like, the more we choose to go around, the less we're going to have these, the less it's going to be evident that that these good works are out there. And I think the spirit will stop giving you at some point, we start quenching the spirit. Obviously this is a grace discussion. So, you know, I'm not saying that's happened immediately and people might flip out over that and say, well, how do I know that I haven't done that? Are you still seeing good works put in your path that you can walk in? And are you, or are you quenching your conscience and saying, ah, you know, I don't really care about that. Well, and one thing, one final thing that I would add is another indicator is that you sin less. First John 2, 1, we quoted First John 1, 7. You know, what, what is, what, how does First John 2, verse 1 start? These things I write to you that you may what? That you may not sin. Again, what does the rest of the verse say? If we sin, doesn't mean that, you know, we have an advocate with the Father is what it says. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that, again, we're getting into the whole works discussion again, but it does mean part of the fruits are you understand, again, how to overcome temptation. You, you, you make these steps to the, to the point where, 
you aren't sinning, you know, as much. You aren't falling into these things. You know, we tend to treat Romans 3.23, well, well, all have sinned. I mean, we all do it. So, you know, you know, we, we use that to, to kind of justify ourselves. And so, I, again, to, to, to add on to that, I think that's one of the other, again, you'll know. You'll, you'll know how you're bearing fruit in the sense that you, you figure out how to overcome temptation and you're not sinning as much, if that makes sense, yeah. found from 1 John 2, verse 1. Absolutely. And one of the things I would suggest for somebody who's, we're, we're, you know, I think we're kind of wrapping up here, but one of the things I'd suggest, uh, we don't really get into meditation too much. Uh, we, it, it's an Easter religion thing, and not really meditating on the word of God, I would pick some Psalms and pick some, maybe some new Testament scriptures about you sitting in God's love and God's grace and in the grace of Christ, sit there for a second, meditate on it, allow that to circle around you where you feel that a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. And we can get into a different podcast on this of feelings versus logic and how much we trump our feelings with logic because Hey, feelings could lead us off the wrong path. You want to feel loved by God. Mm-hmm. You want to feel this grace. And if you're not, we can keep it all logical, but this is a lot of people that keep it logical are those that struggle to feel this. They know their works don't justify them, but they feel that they need to do those. So I would say, take some time, meditate on that for a second and see if you can just allow yourself to feel the love of God surrounding you, cocooning you, being there. And I recently started in my prayer life. It's been helpful. I've kind of started bringing God into the room almost as a father figure. Yes, he's holy. He is, he is, you know, so far above, but I've always had God as kind of this, like in, in this light that we can't even approach unapproachable light. Right. Right. That is a part of it for sure. You see Isaiah, you see people that come in the presence of God, but there's also a, he desires to know you. He is a father to us. He loves us. And when I bring him down to the room, man, I feel that presence when I'm in prayer with him. That's like, wow, that's powerful because I'm just speaking to him and I'm, he's listening to me here. And I start to feel that. And that's not to say feeling trumps everything else, but it is to say it is an aspect of this that we need to start bringing into. Do I feel forgiven? Do I feel the grace of Christ? Pick a few scriptures. I would say close your eyes, meditate on that for a bit and see what you can come up with. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good there. Uh, Meditation, memorization, growing out of sin. Um, We talked about in our first episodes of the year growth and looking backwards and seeing that you're a different person. And I think one real big key thing you hit on there, Joe, is uh, in your, your previous comment was positive action, not just avoiding sin. You, but but that's part of Christian maturity is you realize it's not just about not doing bad things, but about doing good, about evangelizing, about yeah. serving, about teaching others and, and praying for others and, and, and just taking on the work of Christ for yourself as well. So uh, all of that is the fruit that comes out of being with God. And so sow to the Spirit, look for that fruit in your life, expect it because He gives it. it you, you, you're close to Him, you're going to glow as if you've been close to Him. And so um, hopefully we've given some people some more assurance. Hopefully we've helped some people learn how to maybe explain it to others a little bit better. You can know that you are saved. You can know that if you died right now where you're going to go, don't have this doubt, don't have this feeling that you're waffling in and out of salvation with every passing day, every passing minute. Uh, accept God's promises. Lean on Jesus. Um, do we have time for Sermon Sum Up? Are you guys good? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, I went first a week or two ago, so I'm going to make somebody else go. Well, I'll start because um, it's interesting. I didn't plan it this way at all, but what I recently preached on kind of ties in really, really well to this, uh, to this episode. I preached Revelation 2 um, and, you know, the seven churches of Asia you see in, in chapters two and three. We, we typically always jump to Laodicea, and that's the one that we, we bash on. Well, I preached on the church at Ephesus, and it's so interesting how, you know, you don't really find a more positive description of the church of Ephesus than you do in verses two and three of Revelation. If you look at it where he says, you know, chapter two, he says, I know your works. I know, I know your labor. I know your patience. He lists eight different things about them. He says, you know, you've tested those who say they are apostles and you've found them liars. They didn't put up with false doctrine. They knew their Bible clearly. Um, you persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake. You've not become weary. All of these incredible things about this church. And then you get to verse four that starts out with nevertheless, regardless, but he says, I have this against you that you've left your first love. They were putting the cart before the horse. They, you know, the, the love that, that maybe initially inspired those works had diminished, had disappeared. You have this church again, they were active. They weren't pew sitters. Clearly they were working, they were laboring. They weren't weary. They weren't burnt out, but they didn't have the love. They didn't have a love for Christ. Uh, that that wasn't what was inspiring to do the works. And so it's interesting, twice in verse five, he tells them to repent. 
you know, if this was a congregation, if this was into, if this, if these were individuals that were on the right track, he wouldn't have told them to repent. He says, no, you're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong, despite all these good works, you're on the wrong track because you're not doing it out of love. And so he tells them to do three things in verse five. He says, remember from where you've fallen, uh, repent, he says that twice, and then do the first works is what he says. It has to start from love. I use the analogy of a husband and wife, you know, when you're, when your relationship with God, I applied it more to individuals your relationship with God, you know, you're wanting to get to know somebody. What do you do? You spend time with them. You have to do the, the first works, the things that, mm-hmm. that got you to that love in the first place. So really, really interesting um, study there in Revelation to the church at Ephesus. Again, a lot of positive things. He gives them their, their props. He says, I still got this against you and you need to repent from this. You, you're not doing it out of love. I like that. That's good stuff. That'll preach. Um, I'll go next. I, man, we've used the cart before the horse. So much. I keep thinking every time I hear that, I keep thinking of that joke. Um, I am, therefore, I think, but that would be putting Descartes before the horse. Descartes, oh, come yeah. on. De- De- <laughs> oh, come Descartes on. before the horse, yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. We just used that like six times in this podcast, and I just keep thinking about that. That's not um, what you preached on, though, right? I well, hope not. you know. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I am a therapist, so I, you know, dabble in philosophy. No. Um, so my sermon series, I'm starting um, with, with John. Uh, or that I'm getting, it's going to be a long sermon series. It'll be even longer than created for. Cause now I got no 21 way. chapters. <laughs> yeah. I got 21 chapters to work with and not two. So you can imagine I'll be here for the next five years. Um, starting with who Jesus, who John shows Jesus to be, because you have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, very similar in structure, very similar in style. They are written for different purposes and to different audiences. It seems Matthew's to the to the Jewish audience, and um, you know Mark supposedly to the Roman audience, and obviously um, Luke to the Greek with Theophilus. And but John comes in and takes just a very interesting point on Jesus, and and you know toward the end of the book he talks about these witnesses or, or these things being witness to understanding who Christ is, and so he shows Christ to be all sorts of things instead of just hey he's a great man, great teacher, he died for our sins. It's like he's the fulfillment of so much prophecy. He's Jacob's ladder. He's the, you know, he's the good shepherd. He's the bread of life, all of those like extra spiritual things. And so I'm starting in John one and just getting into, he's the word, he's the creator, he's life and he's light. Um, That's in the first five verses of John one and the parallels between John one and Genesis one. We are obviously in the beginning, God created the heavens earth and the beginning was the word. But I was thinking about how did God create he spoke things into existence. He is the word in from the very beginning of time. Jesus was God's connection to mankind always has been. God has always sent Jesus as, as his, um, right. The, the I'm blanking on the term, but leader of the army. I think Angela Lord, there you go. Um, that he has been God's mouthpiece from the very beginning. And then in coming down, it's, it's exactly what he was. So the word, there's a lot in that, of God bringing us forth through the word. And once again, he brings us forth spiritually through the word, uh, going back from that life, um, and light and, and things like that coming into existence that tracks very similarly with the beginning of John one or Genesis one with let there be light and with God creating life from that. And Christ is at the center of it all. He's the creator because it was the word of God that created all of these things, speaking things into existence. So there's just, that's just a, the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that goes into John one. Again, that's the first five verses. John has 21 chapters explaining who Jesus is from an old Testament perspective, from a, uh, from a spiritual perspective, more so than the other uh, gospels and just a fascinating book. So we're getting into that. It's good stuff. Um, I'll, I'll catch you up more in, in sermon sum ups uh, coming up. Uh, we got a lot to get through, but it's good stuff. I'll give you some homework and and just look for how Jesus through John's gospel is the tabernacle. He recreates mm-hmm. Jesus as the tabernacle. It's really neat. Uh, do some digging on good that. Stuff. Um, all right, mine is is really short. I'm I'm still digging into it. This is a real challenge this week. I'm on uh, and and continuing my march through the book of Mark. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. Uh, with regard to paying the tax, of course, Jesus mm-hmm. is sidestepping the the trap question that they're throwing at him. Uh, which is, is so entertaining. That's a weird word to use, but it really is to read through Jesus's interactions where they, they keep running at him and taking shots and he just steps out of the way and, and lets them face plant on their own. Um, 
But as far as the Christians' relation to government, as far as what we give them, what we owe them, how we handle them, taxes, submission, all that, especially in the last two years, it's been really hard. There's been a lot of debates about how much do we have to submit, how much right do we have to resist and go a different way, and it's a real challenging thing. And so I don't... (laughs) I don't have my answers on it yet. I'm, I'm still in study for next week's lesson. Um, maybe next Monday I will include that in, in my uh, um, sermon sum up is, is what I found on it because I don't know. Um, I think it's it's easy to go very way too far in one direction or the other, right? Of you got to submit to everything they say or they don't have any authority over me. I can do what I want. I'm free. I'm This country is different and it's hard. It's hard. And so um, I'm very interested in that. Like I said, maybe I'll just I'll come back and share my conclusions on the matter the more I've studied it because man I've really evolved on this especially the last two years has really made you question a lot of things and so um good yeah uh it, it it's we'll, we'll tune in next week to hear your answer. Uh, yeah exactly, exactly. I'm sure. hoping you can inform my answer because <laughs> I'm just as lost yeah well be sure to come back next week as always uh, we'll be here think deeper on your podcast app on YouTube uh, Spotify, as we said last week or a week or two ago, whenever it was, facebook.com slash thinkdeeperpod or search Think Deeper Podcast to like our page, interact with us, comment, share. Be sure to pass this on. Help us get the word out if you're enjoying the show and getting a lot from it. We hope this time especially you got more assurance, more faith, more understanding that you can know where you're going to go when you die, and we can help others know that as well. And so uh, let's lean on Jesus, take that assurance, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you.